time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is episode number 223, is now the time to buy an EV. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James Cleary and joining me in looking at the phenomenal surge in EV interest are Editor Mal Flynn. G'day James. And key contributing journalist Steve Corby. Greetings. We'll also take a look at the fresh metal we've been driving this week and dive into your feedback. YouTubers, you can jump ahead to each section of the show via the time codes in the notes or chapter markers in the timeline. So let's get after it. EVs, rising fuel prices have lit the wick under consumer interest in EVs. Our EV guide and EV advice pages have been blowing up. The chart is vertical. I've never seen a chart. It is straight up. There are so many people out there uh, hungry for information on EVs. More than ever, people are researching a potential EV purchase. Um, We'll cover issues around choice, price, incentives, wherever the conversation goes. Um, But Steve, you've been researching and writing a heap of stories uh, for Cars Guide EV Guides. So can I start by asking you, with the choice available and prices of EVs and petrol where they are right now, is now the time to buy an EV? Well, it's the thing where we're kind of answering questions. And the question that people are most often asking is, is now the time to buy an EV? Are there any cheap EVs? And it could be a very short story because you just say no. Um, <laughs> and I think a lot of people come to think, oh, I really want to buy it. They say the same thing. I really want to buy an EV. It seems like the right thing to do. Um, but I just can't afford one. I'm just not willing to pay that much for one. So it just kind of, it's this round, you know, people, the interest comes and then people hit that price point and go, oh, I just can't do that. And I think it's that kind of, um, that circle that's not being broken. We, we can keep coming back to that same point. The interest goes up, but the problem is the same. We had, we had that conversation, did we not, Mal, in the office where there's a theory that this vertical chart of people uh, clicking for, for EV stories will potentially come down rather rapidly too because, They've discovered what they want to discover and um, they're not maybe liking what they see. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a distinction between, you know, should I buy an EV because I want an EV or should I buy an EV because instead of a petrol or diesel combustion engine vehicle? Um, two totally different schools of thought there. And for, you know, as uh, <laughs> you can answer both for no, given uh, they're kind of in their inst- infancy to a degree, but um the particularly if you're considering as an alternative to petrol, it's a questionable decision. Yeah, I suppose the price thing, the 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 flip side of that is incentives and and whether or not governments, uh, state, territory, or federal should be offering some kind of incentive to customers, uh, consumers rather. Um, the, the flip side of that argument is there are people saying, well, why should my taxes subsidise your new car? Um, so that that always comes around. But it seems as though uh, other places around the globe are embracing that and are a little bit ahead of us. Uh, our friends across the ditch in New Zealand have a whole range of uh, incentives in place, a, a rebate. Um, Norway, for example, um, has a huge EV car park. Um, I was checking uh, just before we did the show, battery electric vehicles hold a 64% market share um, in 2021. And they have all kinds of things, no purchase or import taxes, um, that's being reduced over time. Uh, annual road tax, um, that's going to be reduced from, from this year uh, onwards. No charges on toll roads or ferries. Um, that was the case from 1997 to 2017. Um, that's being changed as the car park grows. But the list goes on and on. And I just wonder whether we should be on, on that bandwagon. 
I think the interesting thing about Norway is that you say they do have these incentives famously, but they have over time, they bring them down. So they yes. kind of achieved what they wanted to and now yeah. they're phasing them out. But I think it's what kind of incentives. I think the boss of Kia had a really interesting point at the EV6 launch. He said, oh, incentives, fine. He said, but if you can afford a $60,000 car, do you need $3,000 off? Yeah. So I'd yeah. rather you spend that money on infrastructure. Yes. Take the money and spend on infrastructure. I think the incentives should be things like um, free rego, that kind of thing. So that's one thing where you're giving people an incentive, but not spending, not throwing cash at it. I'd rather them throw cash at the uh, infrastructure and make laws, make it a law that if you build an apartment building, every car space has to have access to a, an electric charger. If you're in Holland, if you're further than a kilometre, I think, from an EV charger, they have to build you one. Right. That's, that's the law. I mean, you, they are, and it's a small country, obviously, that makes it a lot easier. But those kind of incentives make more sense than giving giving cash to people who can afford a $60,000, $80,000 car seems... You know, Isn't that it's interesting? Not middle class welfare. It's worse. Wow. Yeah. And that, that's what it boils down to. Like, it, you know, if you bought a $50,000 EV, uh, we've done a state by state analysis, and, you know, it's 3000 is the best you'll do from New South Wales mm. uh, at the moment, which is compared to the, the relative uh, additional cost over a comparable uh, combustion engine vehicle, $3,000 is nothing. And it's interesting, Mal, you mentioned the $50,000. That's more or less cost of entry at this point, isn't it, in terms of yeah. a, a full EV? So it's a fair base on which to do those kinds of um, comparisons. Yeah, and it's also a pretty standard price for mainstream Australia these days. Mm. I suppose, uh, and also, Steve, we were talking yesterday about a change in mindset, I suppose, that there's someone considering a combustion car at $50,000, $60,000, like, oh, no way. But all of a sudden, when you're looking at an EV, the, the, the thing changes, like, oh, well, I suppose I have to. You know, if I want to get into an EV, um, it's, a, it's a change of, of approach. It's what is cheap. I was, I was standing on the side of the road last week at a four-car EV comparison. We were saying all of these, to me, are too expensive, but it's relative. How much, willing, how much are you willing to pay extra for the EV? And what is it you're buying? Is it you're buying the green, self-satisfied feeling? Yeah. You're actually going to save so much on fuel that you'll you know, get the money back? I don't think anyone does that maths or seriously considers that. But it's also the... Um, I, I must admit, I love charging my EV off the solar panels. It just somehow makes me happy. But, you're right, uh, right, right. Very good. I can understand that. But I can't uh, pay the money. Like we've had a we've had a Kona EV for six months. It goes back today. I will miss it terribly. Right. My wife loves it dearly. But um, we looked at the price and went, I just can't. Yep. I can't justify that yeah. for that money. Yeah, I get yeah. a really nice car. Because I mean, we might have been overeating it a bit. I mean, as I make it, an MG ZS EV is forty three grand. So that's around about the the floor price uh, for getting into a full EV, and then you're up to the likes of Porsche Taycan starting at 150 and, and going on from there with a whole bunch of models. I mean, the, the available choice has increased a lot um, in only the last couple of years, but you're up to a pretty substantial price tag at the top end of that. Hmm. Like plasma televisions. You know, who would pay $14,000 for a plasma television? Well, they're very rich would, but um, yeah, the they, they is did. now a plasma television price. But when is it going to come down to OLED price? You know? Yeah, good point. And Mel, you've actually done some of the arithmetic on how long it might take to make up the, the cost differential, the extra that you've got to pay to get into an EV, haven't you? Yeah. So uh, coincidentally, I've uh, <laughs> done some, a quick uh, calculation based on the Kona EV electric um, and comparing a Kona Highlander 2-litre with a Kona Highlander electric, Yep. Uh, the price of entry, uh, disregarding any incentives, 
uh, is $25,700. Uh, and based on the price, the average price of regular unleaded this week of $2.06, uh, it would take you 201,000 kilometers to amortize that initial investment. Okay. So, so from a, a purely fiscal point of view, tough to justify. That's a, that's a long ownership period. However, Corby, as you've just said, you've really enjoyed driving that car for six months. You know, there's all well, sorts of advantages that, beyond the hip pocket. I think yeah. it looks better and it definitely drives better. I wouldn't have the Kona, but I would have the Kona EV in terms of driving enjoyment. Right, mm. but at 50%, we're talking like 50%, right? 25 grand is like that's yep. an enormous whack. It is, it yep. is. And uh, I mean, Mel, uh, you, you were talking about um, that, that differential, and it, yes, it would take a long time to make that up. But uh, it, it, the, the petrol price you quoted is in Sydney, Australia. We are in Australia, and recently, over different seasons, we've experienced horrendous bushfires and, and uh, terrible floods this summer in Australia, particularly on the East Coast. And I wonder, are people changing their mind in response to those kinds of events, the, the increasing cycle of huge environmental um, upsets? Is that a factor as well? Yeah, I think so many people say to me it's that their next car will be an EV. Like maybe they went to buy one this time and just went, no, I can't, but, I've, but definitely my next one will be. And I say, why? Why is that? It just seems like the right thing to do. Right. It feels like a chipping. And what can I do about the climate crisis? I could buy an electric car. Yes. And sure, it is. It is a, it's a raindrop in an ocean. But yeah. Um, and but you know, there's all the all the uh, you know the, the obvious elements there about you know where you source your energy from. Sorry, and I should point out with my cost calculation, that's based on not paying a penny for electricity. Presuming oh. you've got home solar and you've already you know amortized that investment. So wow. yeah. if you pay for your electricity, it's longer than 200,000 200, kilometres. And you're going to pay for it sometimes. It's going to be cloudy. You're going to get to rainy days. Well, yeah. 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 So that's that's based on a best case scenario. So um, re-environment, there's an interesting calculation. Uh, Polestar uh, estimates that the Polestar 2 will take 122,000 kilometres to sort of amortise the environmental impact. Mm-hmm. Um which is which a lot is a lot less, but it's still it's still a long time. But you've heard uh, the Mazda wheel to well argument as well. They say if you're going to buy an EV, you have to consider the cost of making it, the environmental cost of making it, building it, yes. disposing of it, and that means when we do the maths on that, the battery has to be smaller, and that means you only get 220 kilometers of range. Right. And for most people, that's just not enough. So yes. They've made a car that yeah. is, is completely isn't that interesting puritan in, in environmental terms, but yeah, 220 k's it's not enough. Yeah, so very difficult to make a you know instant impact on the you know the the environmental situation however by buying a car now you're helping fund the development of these cars in the future you know and and you know kind of creating a momentum to work towards uh a actual environmental benefit yeah yeah i I suppose I think the other uh, issue, we touched on it briefly, that uh, stat you had from the Netherlands, Steve, about if you live more than a kilometre away from a, from a charging point, you've got to ha- they've got to put one in. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in Australia, that's, we're, we're about as far away from that as you could imagine. Um, New Zealand, their ambition is to have DC charging stations, like a fast or rapid one, every 75 kilometres across state highways to enable people to undertake longer journeys. Um, there and you know, I dug up some maps, they're everywhere in New Zealand. DC fast chargers are all over the place. Okay, much smaller country, it's a, a different financial equation, 
But um, do we need some kind of more determined effort or a goal, some kind of target to, to help us get across the infrastructure threshold? Yeah, there just isn't enough being done. I think that's the that's what um, that's the key argument. Okay, don't worry, don't worry about giving the cash incentives. If you think that's not going to yeah. help, take that money and spend it on yes. some charges. But there is not a charge near me. And and you look at them per capita in Australia, the, the number of charges per capita. It's not just square kilometres. The number of people in New Zealand is also very small. No, but sure. per capita is an enormously high number of charges compared to what we've got. Yes. And Corby, you're, it's fair to say you're in relatively central Sydney with a decent yes. population density. You know, it's well, kind of I used to the live in Balmain, and there was a guy I met who had an EV, and he would drive it uh, about three kilometres to the nearest shopping centre. He would leave it there to charge and walk home. Oh, wow. He because he couldn't charge it in the street where he lived, and he yeah. had to walk three kilometres every time he wanted to get his car. I said, yeah. is it worth it? He goes, oh, well, you know, it's only, that's all I can do at the moment. The, like, the, the thing about population density and Steve, though, Mal, is that once he moves in, the, the density diminishes fairly rapidly True. because people people realise what they're up against and they I just move. Space. They just move. Space to park yeah. my cars. Yeah. It's <laughs> somewhat of an edge <laughs> case, as usual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Now, what about, though, we're talking about full battery electric EVs. More and more people are jumping on the hybrid bandwagon as a stepping stone, potentially. You know, Steve, when you say people are going to make their next purchase an EV, do you think they're meaning hybrid or they're meaning full battery electric? Because we've got, you know, the self-charging type of hybrid, which is so... Uh, yeah. Inverted self-charging. Self you, you know what I mean. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the engine is, and the car itself is doing that task as opposed to having to put a plug into the vehicle. Um, that seems to be an increasingly popular option too. I think, unfortunately, when people say it to me, what they're actually saying is I'm going to buy a Tesla. But, oh, okay. Um, okay. I mean, a lot of people, that's the question they ask most often. Is it time for me to buy a Tesla? Then they see the price of that and have a little panic. But really, they want to buy into that. I mean, I'm staggered the number of people I know who are actually buying Teslas. Teslas. But, um, but I think the plug-in hybrid thing, is it enough kilometres to make sense? I didn't think so until that Lexus came out. Now, the Lexus has got... I think 78 or 83 kilometers off a charge. Yeah. They yeah. thought realistically it's 70 kilometers. Mm. So mm. I don't even need, I wouldn't even need to charge that every day to commute. Yes. And I could run it in full green mode all the time. And then when I drive to Canberra from Sydney, I would You're uh, right. it's easy. engine kicks in, no problems. And that I car suddenly made sense. I couldn't agree more. I for what it's worth, I think plug-in hybrid right now is such a great option. Um, because for people, for urban dwellers particularly. Because a range like 70 kilometres is super useful uh, for people mm. that just do running around in, in city and suburban areas. And then you've got a, a combustion engine to facilitate a longer journey. If you consider and acknowledge and are happy to lug around a very expensive combustion engine and drivetrain that's unused for, you know, it's true. Week. And look, you know, in a recent story, I, I forgive me, I can't remember exactly which one it was, but Richard Berry made a good point. He said that human nature is probably trending more towards laziness than, than you know, action stations. And the very act of having to plug the car in on a regular basis means that a lot of people may not. Um, so you are actually on the flip side of that, Mel, carrying around a battery and a motor that you're not using because you're probably using it as a petrol engine car. Yeah, and I, I, the, I always compare it to our willingness to get out and open a garage door versus, you know, <laughs> insisting on a, yeah, a yeah. power garage door. Uh, like, we just don't do it. How many people do you know with a garage that they just don't use if oh, they have to open the door? Zero. Just get oh, out at the end of the day. Few, yes, gotcha. 
Yeah. And if it's um, and- in the garage, you're in real trouble. But it's a fascinating <laughs> psychological it's a fascinating psychological thing because you have then, yes, I think there's a lot of uh, tail off. People buy the FEV and then they don't plug it in that often. But I think the sort of person who buys it is the sort of person who's going to plug it in because that's why they bought it. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean, so that's that some of those people will always plug it in because that's why I want to prove that I'm doing yeah. this for that reason. The thing that may be a breakthrough there, though, is induction charging where you, you know, you oh. just, it's wireless and you just drive over a mat or whatever it is and the car charges in that spot for people who are able to accommodate that that kind of um, tech um, mm. in a garage or a parking space or whatever. That that would be a bit of a breakthrough on that score. But when you go overseas and you realise, you forget, I think, because we've been overseas for a while, that how much of the world lives in apartments. You know, that's yes. the thing. Australia is yeah, very yeah, unusual totally. in terms of the space and the way we live and the amount of people who have driveways and garages. That's very unusual in global terms, isn't it? Yes, I mean, America is similar. Middle America is similar, but... Certainly, the UK, you know, up and down, mm. all of all of Spain, but all of Asia, a lot, a lot of apartment living, and just makes it a lot trickier. Street, yes. street charging is a totally different challenge. Yeah. Yep, that's a super good point. Um, and just on 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 local uh, kind of issues, we're coming up to if it's ever called, we're coming up to a federal election, and and last time around, it was a real hot potato being being booted around. Um, there were. There was talk of, you know, it, our current prime minister was saying electric cars, they won't tow your trailer, not going to tow your boat. Your weekend. Not, yeah. not going to, you know, get you to your favourite camping spot. The opposition wants to take out in the weekend. Um, and other calls about how tradies, the opposition wants to ban tradies utes um, because there was some talk of additional taxes on on combustion utes and, and SUVs. Um, you confused, James. He never actually said those things. Right. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's right. Of course. Things. I got that wrong. I got that wrong. So, but and you won't say them this time, I tell you that. It's interesting <laughs> that the, the conversation has changed because it has. That's what I was just going to say. Policy and it was all very pro EV. Yeah. Three short years, and, mm. and that has changed quite dramatically. Mm. Yeah. I think it's really important, though, to, to sort of consider that the. the top, you know, EV is a, is a broad term, and people start. You know, we know from our audience, people start looking for electric car. Yeah. Right. And then they realize this is our general audience. They realize that an electric car ranges from, you know, all the way up to hydrogen fuel cell, but but generally uh, a pure electric vehicle, which is an EV. Uh, but then beneath that, there's the plug in hybrid, hybrid, you know, yep. even right down to mild hybrid. Yes. Uh, and, yeah. you know, that that sort of scale, the, the dollars drop, and you know you still get that cachet of having an electric car of sorts. Yes, um, it's, it's interesting. The general interest in electrified cars, we, I think. We've asked a very black and white binary question. You know, is now the right time to buy an EV? Yet these purchase decisions are so nuanced. You know, from Steve, from your Tesla crowd who want to you know, maybe enhance their personal brand by acquiring acquiring a Tesla, others who are concerned about the environment, others who are thinking, you know, maybe I want to save some dough, but the answer to them would be, uh-uh, no, it's probably not the right time now. Mm-hmm. But for others, it may be. It's not an easy one to answer, really. Mm. And how many people really understand plug-in hybrids? It's interesting that China, China quotes electrified cars, yes. not electric cars, and you realise those huge numbers do include plug-in hybrids and yes that you know that skews the number what, what yes. if, you, if you included that in our number we're at like one percent less than two percent battery electric vehicles but yep, um yep. i think plug-in hybrids if once people understand them they seem like a good solution for australian conditions then they might go up in it yeah currently availability of plug-in hybrids is very minimal um mm. 
but it's going to change. You just know it's going to change. And as people open their eyes to them, they're going to, yeah. I was looking at that, not an exhaustive list, um, don't get me wrong, but uh, Volvo's in there with XC40, XC90. There's an MG plug-in hybrid. Um, NX, of course, Steve, you mentioned um, Lexus with that new model. Um, Sorrento, Mal, you're going to talk about that soon. Yep. Especially um, Outlander, which is Outlander, an established new player. New model yeah. of which is heading our way very, very shortly. So, um, and there's a Mazda coming, isn't there? Yeah. So there's a litany of BMWs. The, correct. Correct. So that the choice there is increasing, um, and that that could be that stepping stone, halfway house, whatever whatever you call it. Uh, a lot more focus on that. And the car brands with the deepest pockets are producing everything. You know, yes. They're producing combustion models. They're producing hybrid, plug-in hybrid, full electric. Mercedes whole bit. is a great example of that. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you've got the dough, um, you can play to all all things. And and as we've said before, um, it's a political question as well, in the sense that different different jurisdictions around the world have different regulations. So if you're a car maker and you're wanting to sell cars globally, all of a sudden it's become splintered. You know. I have to have a car I can sell in the Netherlands and I have to have a car that I can sell in Australia um, and another one that I can sell in America and, in fact, different states of America because California is different and blah, blah, blah. It just becomes an incredible headache because it's not just a business decision. It's driven by political choices that are made around the world. Now imagine how simple it was when it was just petrol or diesel. That's it. <laughs> that was it. For a car company. Yeah. And the explaining you have to do. I think that... You forget that how complex uh, the idea of a plug-in hybrid is to someone who has no interest in cars. Like, they're yes. really quite, you send the iris glaze over. <laughs> yes. Like, what yes. now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, which has been one of the great strengths of the Toyota hybrid approach. You don't have to think about them. It's they easy. just do their best yeah, at yeah. general you know, under general driving conditions, and you just see that number on the dash and go, no, it's pretty good. And too mm-hmm. right. And it does. It makes a huge contribution to fuel economy. I mean, they are, they are way better on fuel, um, no doubt about it. All right, so I think to, to try and answer the question, is now the right time? It's kind of a, well, it depends. But if you're looking at it purely, if, if you're looking at it purely from a hip pocket point of view, no, um, it's not. Despite the high uh, fuel prices, that's shocked everybody. Um, but uh, looking at EVs, by all means, but it's, it's probably not the right time. Would, would that be fair? And if you're looking beyond the hip pocket, there's so many exciting options to, to have a go with. Yeah. You know, yeah. Performance, small, you name it, every shape and size. Yeah, yeah. Too true. All right. Great. Thank you for that, guys. Let's um, move to our garage and cars that we've been driving. Now, this one, Steve, is not an environmentally focused model, although, you know, some may say it is. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, wait. And, and you, you did have to consume some Jet A1 in terms of going overseas for the first time for, for a long while. But tell us what you've been driving. Well, that's true. I think the uh, I may have... Uh increased my carbon footprint getting there but it is a, <laughs> uh, a plug-in hybrid the 296 gtb yeah. ferrari is a plug-in hybrid and it will do a, a stunning 25 kilometers on electric only power at which point it runs completely silently which is awful like being yes. in a ferrari yes. that makes no sound is yes, that's not right. weird and you press that's... the start button and nothing happens you think it's broken but yeah. um yes it's definitely a, a staggering car we drove it in, in spain it had 610 kilowatts so by combining the electric power and so they use the FEV wow. for uh, what you might call evil rather than good. It's, they said, you know, we're not bothered about the environmental thing. Or they did say it's handy if you're driving into a quiet historical centre of a town, you might want to drive an electric only. You'd be it. able to get into central London, for example. Exactly. Yes. You yes. Could. 
But, I can't um, imagine that's a direct quote. They're not bothered by the environment. Oh, right. yeah, right. right. Oh, really? Look, if you make a hybrid, you can put an electric car, you can put a beautiful Ferrari engine on top of an electric car, and then when you surge off the line in that thing, you're getting electric instant torque and then this screaming V6 that somehow manages to sound like a V12. Right. And uh, the, the performance is like nothing I've ever experienced. It's the only... I noticed at Top Gear, where I used to work, they gave it 10 out of 10. And I don't think I've ever seen them give something 10 out of 10. And I'm giving it wow. 5 out of 5. It is. Right. And it's only through the rear wheels? Rear wheel drive, yes. Rear wheel That's drive, 610 astounding. Yeah. And, it, and wow. on, the, on the track, it nearly killed me and went um, sideways a couple of times. But on the road, it never felt um, overly tail happy. It never felt like it was going to kill you. And uh, I think it's just got incredible software, like this calibration, F1 style software to keep you on the road. Drive and management. For, for all of our listeners and viewers who have been on tender hooks, um, <laughs> they're 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 negotiating their bank balance. Uh, what what roughly what's a figure in Australia? Did you manage to extract that? Well, that's the thing. So in the past, I never give anything five out of five because the price, right? No. I'm not giving it five out of five, but this time I think it's about five hundred sixty-eight thousand. Let's call it six hundred thousand once you get the floor mats. Um, and the bottom protector. Car, yeah. But the first time ever, I thought I would pay six hundred thousand dollars. If I had the money, I would wow. buy that. Wow! Never, wow. never have I thought that before because I think the price is stupid. But um, right. can can you buy one though? Is the waiting list longer than the production oh, schedule always, of the vehicle? There's always a bit of a list. I think it's mm. about. There are several people in Australia who've already put down deposits without ever seeing one or sitting in one. Makes perfect right. sense to me. Yep. And I think it'd be about a two-year wait. And Steve, where does it sit in the hierarchy? What does it replace? You know, where, where is it in the Ferrari realm? So you can still buy an F8 Tributo, which is a V8 engine, but this has got more power. You okay. can still buy a V12. This has got more power. Power, okay. More power than the V12. And in price terms, it sits above the F8, but they'll still keep something out if you want one and yep. below like a super fast. But it is their, it's their performance, you know, their Berlinetta rear engine. This is the peak performance car for them. I mean, you can get an SF90, but I've driven that as well. The SF90 is just the same as this, but more unusable, whereas this is right. actually somehow usable. Right. <laughs> Amazing. Fantastic. Must have been great to, uh, well, you know, leave Australia shores and, and come back. But uh, what, a gr- what a great catalyst for that adventure. It was Thank you. It. Thank you. Mel, um, we're talking about another plug-in hybrid fill us in please yes just bringing you right back out of the stratosphere <laughs> but not down to earth as such uh but back on the uh and, and following the plug-in hybrid uh, theme and ev theme of this week i have just spent a week driving the sorrento the kia sorrento phev so the plug-in hybrid version yep uh which sits at the very top of the range um they've there's an imminent hybrid version which uh doesn't require plugging in and uh, doesn't quite yield the same efficiency gains as the plug-in hybrid. But I drove the plug-in hybrid. So $15,000 above the regular GT line uh, 2.2-litre diesel. Um, but note, it's only $4,000 more than a top-spec Kluger hybrid, which is not okay. a plug-in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it promises uh, up to uh, close to 70 kilometres of EV range, thanks to a relatively large 14-kilowatt-hour uh, lithium-ion battery. That's pretty handy. Yep. Mm. Yeah. The the outcome uh, combined with the combustion engine, uh, based on the combined fuel figure. Uh, sorry, the official combined fuel figure is one point nine liters per hundred k's, which is great. Now, with plug-in hybrids, you've got to take that with a grain of salt because uh, it's you know depends on how much of the electric drivetrain you use. So I drove it. So I just hopped in it, picked it up, fully charged, and drove it like I would drive a normal car. 
Mm-hmm. I drove at 187 kilometres. Um, and the way you drive a normal car is quite erratically. You're all over the road. There's, you know, inconceivable decisions made along the way. So you've got to take that into account as well. Yeah. Not this week, James. I <laughs> picked it up in Alexandria. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Picked it up in Alexandria, drove it uh, along largely motorways back to the Blue Mountains and drove it around town in the Blue Mountains for the week. Um, but my initial journey, I made it, and I didn't fiddle with any modes or anything like that. I just jumped in the car and drove it. Uh, and impressively, I made it all the way from Alexandria to Emu Plains, which is 70 kilometres at motorway speeds before right. noticing the petrol engine kicking in. So okay. considering that electric cars tend not to uh, perform well at motorway speeds, this kind of lived up to its promise. I was very impressed. Um, then climbing hills, you can, you know, the, the petrol engine, which is only a 1.6 litre turbo, uh, relatively small for a car of its size, but combined with the electric drivetrain, it is pretty close to what you'd expect from the uh, the regular V6 petrol. Um, so the petrol engine kicks in when you apply enough throttle. So you're not left, you know, uh, with, you know, a relatively small electric drivetrain. Uh, I charged it once overnight via the PowerPoint at home. Uh, it was fully charged in the morning. At the end of my test, it was showing 3.3 litres per 100Ks on the dash. Wow. Uh, net. So that's that's using two cycles of the electric battery, bear in mind, 187 kilometres net. Um, so fair to say 140 kilometres odd was on electric. Uh, and so the 3.3 litres per 100Ks is way better than the about 8.5 I'd expect that's from a diesel in the same journey. However, I did the cost calculation for it too. So based on today's average price, today's average price of diesel of $2.20, and presuming I charged it at home with solar that I've already paid for, um, it would take you to amortize the extra $15,260 cost you over the diesel. It would take you uh, $133,391 kilometers. To get to parity. To get to parity, which is a long time. Yes. But can I say it's a nice experience to drive around in a family car uh, on pure electric. It's quiet. You hop in the morning. You know, I often have to leave very early in the morning right next to where my kids sleep. You don't wake them up by starting the car early in the morning, which is a real advantage. um, Great great point. Great point. Yeah. And Kia's done a really good job with this car in that, it's still got a full-size spare. You lose 30 litres of boot capacity, but based on what uh, my observation, it seems like it's all the underfloor storage behind the third row, which, let's face it, no one ever uses. Um, so very little compromise in terms of practicality. Uh, pretty good package if, if you're willing to stump up the $80,000 initially. Great. Very good. Okay, Mel, thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Um, I will finish it off. VW Arteon shooting brake. This is the 206 TSI R-Line. So that's the top of the shooting brake tree. There are, there are two models. $78,500-odd. Two-litre turbo petrol, seven-speed dual clutch, 206 kilowatts, hence the name 206 TSI, uh, 400 newton metres. So uh, five-seat and it's all-wheel drive. And the wagon. Halfway it's a wagon. through. It's the shooting brake. brought in a wagon. It's the shooting brake. And first of all, the things I like, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. They have done such a great job in shaping this car. It, it just catches your eye and keeps it there. It's it's great to look at. It feels quality uh, right the way through. It's quick. Also, zero to 100, 5.6. You know, that's, that's not hanging around. So 
it's definitely uh, got some performance. The dual clutch is a nice snappy dual clutch, not a clunky kind of ponderous dual clutch. Uh, it's well equipped. It's comfy. The dynamics, the refinement, it has got a heck of a lot going for it. Um, on the dislike column, uh, claimed 7.7 litres 100 on the combined uh, fuel cycle. I got just under 11, so a bit of a, a bit of a miss and a reason, you know, that figure would have you looking at it, you know, in this current environment. And How are you it, driving it? What sort just of environment? No, just normally a lot of commuting, a, a little bit of enthusiastic driving here and there, but um, nothing outrageous in terms of the way I was driving the car. Um, it gets this this R-line version gets fancy sportier seats, but the downside of that is you miss out on ventilation in the in the standard car, which is the 140 TSI. And we were talking last night about pet uh, last night last week about um, things that annoy us. This one has the slider for volume on the audio system, both on the console screen and on the steering wheel. Yeah. I was I just crave a conventional dial that I can turn uh, for volume. So. Little thing, but it's an annoyance uh, nonetheless. So to sum it up, I would say it's restrained and beautiful, but the question is, can that badge stretch to the 80K price tag? Because in, in that range, you're looking at um, a cousin, which is the A4 Avant Audi, uh, a BMW 3 Series Touring, a Genesis G70 shooting brake, which is another beautiful take on a wagon. It almost feels like an uh, an echo of Ferdinand Pieck, you know, when he was trying to build the Phantom of Phaeton, uh, the the, yeah. the big twelve cylinder thing. Can can the VW badge stand up in that kind of company? Is the question. Also, a decent margin over the Passat, you know. The, totally, totally. It's identically. It's a lovely car. It's in fact very hard to fault, um, but it's just a matter of the competition is pretty hot in that part of the market. Fair way cheaper than the equivalent Touareg, though. Oh, oh, totally. I mean, it, it just depends mm. on the perspective you're coming at it from. Yeah. Uh, I think like station wagons are just getting better and better looking. Like that Genesis oh, one, I really like. Oh, and it's beautiful. In my mind, I, I would have a station wagon every time because of the low center of gravity and they just look better. Was it you, Steve, in driving that car? It was, it was a, a, a person on the podcast that said they were constantly being asked if it was a Bentley. You know, yeah, because, uh, that was the SUV, but I have been asked that about every just about every Genesis. Genesis. The front, the front end, they've done a very good control C, control V of the Bentley. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Same well, designer. Bentley Same could designer. have been, you know, kinder and sent the CAD files over, <laughs> you know. Um, anyway. But it's a good looking car, really. Yeah, I, really I think it looks better than a Bentley, hands well, down. Yeah. There you go. But the Volkswagen is a beautiful car as well. It's lovely. And this one's in a metallic, like a rich metallic blue, uh, just all class. So there we go. All right, when you said three series touring, I'm like, well, I'd buy that. Yeah. That's, and that's, 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 that's the, the, the BMW. That's A4, the conundrum. Four advanced, another yeah, one. Yeah, all that. Mm. So now we go to comment of the week. It's on top of the sh- shipping container at the front of the Cars Guide forecourse, uh, surrounded by bunting, balloons, the whole bit. This is the comment that caught our eyes and uh, ears. Fat man overlanding. Now, last week we were talking about things that annoy us, things that drive us nuts in cars. And one of them was people driving with the DRLs on, but not their headlights. And he said, I too have seen many drivers driving at night with only the DRLs on. This is obviously dangerous, particularly on the freeway motorway. I think there are two main reasons this keeps happening. Some DRLs are very bright and combined with street lighting and mistaken for headlights when viewed from within the car. Obviously, they are nothing like the headlights. And second, many cars now have digital dashboards. So even with the headlights off, the dashboard's illuminated. In the olden days, seeing a dark dashboard is a clear driver indicator the headlights have been switched on. <laughs> so combine digital dashboards with bright DRLs, most drivers are not aware their headlights are off, 
they probably just think the car has weak headlights. And Hammer Rocks um, made the same point. He chimed in and, and agreed. I think that's entirely plausible in terms of why this happens. Most, I would say, what do you say? 90% of cars now have an auto headlights function. So you put it on there and the headlights come on automatically, but some don't. And when once you're accustomed to auto headlights, if someone hops in and changes your headlights to off, you know, yeah. you're, you're never going to be recognizing that. Yeah. Mm. I was about to say that surely all cars have auto headlights. And I was like, I better not say that. It sounds like a man who's driving posh cars. But surely <laughs> it would be, surely most cars lot. do, right? Yeah, they do. It's, it's such a small tweak. Yeah. Um, to put into the software and uh, or whatever that it's it's mm. a feature that's just almost ubiquitous these days. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, look, with that, we've reached the finish line. So it's time to say thank you, Steve. Pleasure. And thank you, Mel. You're welcome, James. Thank you. And thanks to our apprentice visionary, space lawyer, and magic the gathering master, Mr. Pritchard, for his magical work behind the scenes. Today he's wearing a t-shirt saying, I just rescued, I just rescued a beer. It was trapped in a bottle. Um, Norwegian curling pants and high heel flippers. Unbelievable. Jump into the conversation. Cars Guides on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Apple podcast listeners, take a moment to rate and review the show. It helps other people uh, discover it. Five is the preferred number of stars, though. Thank you. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, a big eBay session earlier this week saw a beautiful old car radio with a buy it now price of a dollar. Description said volume stuck on full, uh, but at that price, I knew I couldn't turn it down. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh. Whoa, thanks, Dad. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs>